Okay. Pirate Equity, Race Coach She, Pat McGinnies, and the guest this week. Nice. Welcome, everybody. But we have a guest every week now, dude. Mm. You're drawing attention to the I our, don't know our, if we our do. historical failure to attract guests that has now been completely resolved. Those days are behind us. Uh, well, we'll discuss how formats might be changing in the coming weeks, but today we are here with Lydia Hughes, the trade union activist and organiser. <laughs> Your voice went kind of funny there. Oh, uh, well, no, that's reached. Uh, to, he reached around. What he was trying to do. <laughs> Caught me off guard. Um, but yes, anyway, uh, for people who have not listened to this show before, this is Private Equity, the show from People's Private Equity, which is, I mean, it's really just a think tank at this point, isn't it? I want to. I wanted to call it a Praxis tank, but I thought that was too Praxis tank. Slightly no, wanky. Praxis, yeah, oh, it's, prax- it's a bit oh. wanky. We need something that sounds like that is that, that is basically a praxis tank, what, but that sounds what, what, less wanky. Praxis? What, what, what is that? So for the liberals in the room, praxis is the well-known Marxist concept of unifying theory and practice. And the problem I have with the idea of a think tank is it's not like the knowledge generated is not sufficiently operationalized. Whereas at PPE, we're obviously all about operationalizing knowledge. Well, I mean, essentially, for people who don't know, PPE, People's Private Equity, is at the moment, as you say, a think tank, which is all about transforming workplaces and transforming Trans- yeah, like transforming the firms <laughs> transforming the finance firms nice and uh, nice. yeah well, it's it's i mean the the think tank is think tank schmink tank okay really so listen the main thing is we need we, we need to jump into the grubby the grubby finance chat which is obviously what people are here for um we don't as usual we don't have a very solid structure but the the, the broad idea is uh, we've got lydia on the show She's all down with workers' inquiry, um, and she's down with trade union organising. And obviously, those are really important to what we're trying to do with uh, people's private equity. Like a massive part of our plan is obviously to go into workplaces and to build workers' power through workers' institutions. So she's going to give us some insight into that. Um, and then we're going to, I don't know, maybe slag off the Labour Party a bit. You can try, you can try and defend them. Are you guys not? You, guys, you are the Labour Party. No, I'm not. <laughs> Mate, a, you need to do your research. I'm not no, the Labour Party. You're a red man, so you must be a Labour man. Corbyn and uh, McDonald. L- Lydia, are you in, are you in the Labour Party? One hundred percent not. Whoop, are you? Whoop, whoop, you're outnumbered. Of course not. Of <laughs> are course we two to one? Like the, so, do you guys not like the Corbyns and the McDonalds of the world? I would say I'm critically. They're not your buddies. Critically supportive. Oh God, you've been hanging out with too many weird trots and stylists. Maybe. As you know, the stylists. <laughs> yeah. I've seen you posting the weird stylist stuff on Facebook. The, the, You're what, going so down third, a dark third road. World, third world tankies is my thing. Um, <laughs> revolutionary communist group, like, eat your heart out, maybe. I don't know what you're talking about. Third world thank you. Anyway. <laughs> third, <laughs> third worldism is, so anytime you put ism on the end of things on the radical left, it means that you're fetishizing that thing too much. So workerism is when you become obsessed with the working class for its own sake. And third worldism is what? whenever you become obsessed with the third world for its own sake. And, like, the standard, like what do you call it like um, social imperialists in the Labour Party criticise the RCG for being third worldists you know what you know what you are though Frank you're an empirist maybe (laughs) that's probably true actually is that a ban listen I I really wanted to talk about how pirate equity is a stupid name and we should fucking change it I feel like maybe we should just dive straight into the final. you've got the wrong guest because I like it yeah I mean I'm not going to back you up on this one Frank I'm not going to lie you've really like um, knocked me off balance I was so sure that we were doing a good thing by revisiting the name but now that you like it I sort of feel like shit maybe it's going to what's not to like pirates great equity I mean 
I'm neither here nor there on that one. <laughs> but do we? But do we want to be associated with like a pirate ship and all that kind of like? What is well, it? David Graeber says that pirate ships are the earliest form of democracy. So. Oh, wow. Okay, that's sick. So we need to look into that. Yeah. I, I'm, I feel like we need to put the question of getting rid of our name on ice because it seems like it's got it's got some mileage in it. Um, shall we quickly do some plugs and then you can do your reasons to be cheerful bit, yeah? So the big obvious plug is that we've got this mad conference coming up on Saturday at Greenwich University. Lydia, you're going to be speaking on the same panel as me. It's almost as if... <laughs> It's almost as if we're good friends. It's almost as if I curated the panel. Um, so that's going to be the panel on legal sector workers, but that's only one of many exciting things that we're going to be discussing. We have lots of big name speakers, Grace, Bra- Grace Blakely, um, Kostas Lapovitsas, uh, Laurie McFarlane, lots of big names. It's going to be fun. Brett Scott. Um, the other big plug is that we've just had a article published on the New Socialist which is kind of our first attempt to properly think in public about what we're trying to do with people's private equity. So everyone should check out that. And we're actually going to talk about it because Lydia, you've had a read of it, have you? I just had a read of it just now. It was a good article. I feel like it laid out, you know, what the project actually is. We, I feel like we've been talking about it for a few years. Definitely <laughs> yeah. at a party or something. I think there was a party at your house and we were maybe a bit drunk and you talked about this private equity thing and I thought you were totally insane. Yeah, that's the look that I go for at all times. Um, we had to submit like photos for the um, program of the conference and I like realized how utterly unphotogenic I am and then as a joke I um, posted this photo of me looking like I was insane to the group <laughs> chat and then Ben clearly thought I was serious and was like dude we have to ask people for like millions of money pounds can you find like a slightly more respectable looking <laughs> photograph um, but yeah um, those are the main plugs conference and article uh, so I guess we can you can do your Miliband bit the Miliband bit that's yes. what it is like I mean that's yeah that's why we do the show because David Mil- I mean not David Ed Miliband. <laughs> Ooh, so Red yeah, reason, Ed. Reason to be cheerful. Links to the plug. It's the uh, the conference. So it's very something's happening at the conference. Possibly multiple things are happening at the conference. What? So this but, is your uh, reason to be cheerful? Oh, could you? Will you? Will you let me finish, Frank? <laughs> My reason to be cheerful is that uh, for many people out there who are fans of the Pirate Equity podcast, but not fans of the communist nonsense that we're going to be having the very first live audience podcast. Is that with, happening? Huh? Are you, like, committing us to things that we can't deliver? Under-promise, over-deliver, dude. Are we totally doing that? Are we having a live podcast from the conference? When I say live, you mean, live You audience. mean not live. <laughs> the audience is live oh, I there. See. Okay, fair. We're not doing it live, but it was live. So it was a live, it counts as live. Okay, maybe. I think you should do it live. I, we could try. That's a thing people do, you know, big it's, podcasters. That's true. We could try. We, we're doing it live. And uh, there's going to be no Frank McGinnis in one of them. Don't call me McGinnis. Get my name right. Come on. So, uh, You've known me too no, long to soften that so G. So this is, this, this is going to be a special liberals only edition. Uh, it's going to be me and uh, a gentleman named Gary, I believe. Gary Stevenson, Who is a yeah. pretty notorious man in the city. Uh, used to be a trader in is it Scottish Bank? Citibank. Citibank. The imaginatively uh, named. Yeah, Citibank. Um, and he was a, he was a top trader there, and uh, we're going to have me having a chat with him, 
uh, about investing and uh, all of that. And also Alex Hartley. And yes, Alex Hartley. Who's involved in the alternative energy sector. She's going to be adding some spice to the spicy, spicy conference. But not too much spice. Going to be mainly liberal spice. So, uh, yeah, so there's going to be that. And there's also going to be a couple of communist-only episodes. It's hoi hoi. I didn't know salt was a spice. No, no, no. <laughs> salt and pepper. <laughs> liberal salt? No. Well, there's the liberal salt to the communist pepper. Um, we've got the, the communist pepper episodes, which are, it's not really that much of a reason to be excited, but there's going to be some good guests. Which ones are you cheering against? You've got the law one, and are you doing... I don't know what I'm cheering. We'll I think he's out. doing the one with Grace Blakely, and we're definitely going to be doing that as a podcast. Grace Blakely and Costa Slapavistas, that's our opening plenary, and that is going to be a big podcast for you to enjoy. Um, Costas is on the closing plenary, not the opening plenary, but, but never mind. <laughs> I, um, uh, I'm going to move this along because you're taking way too long to tell me why you're cheerful. Um, my reason to be cheerful it relates to the Stansted 15. For those who don't know, they were the bad persons who... I use bad person in the, the positive sense, obviously, who uh, shut down a airport in order to stop a charter flight. And then the uh, British state, being as they are dickheads, uh, charged the 15 people with like serious terrorism offences. Uh, and they recently had their sentencing hearing after they were um, convicted of those offences. And... They all skipped jail, which is pretty cool. So no one went to prison. Obviously, they never should have been prosecuted in the first place. But my uh, my main reason to be cheerful is that the uh, the comrades didn't go to jail, which is excellent. It's a great reason to be cheerful. Do I have to give mine now? Okay. Yeah, it's up to you, really. I mean, yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, if you have no reasons, then I suppose you can give a reason to be tearful, which we did last time, right? Because oh, John, yeah. John Bogle reasons. had died, and he was. Oh. No, I have a reason to be cheerful. I had a really good day today. I was at Goldsmiths, where we just had the first demonstration for the Bring the Security Guards Back in-house campaign. And I feel like we're going to win. We're going to win soon. And we're going to win hard. It's going to be great. We um, paraded through the building. It was great. with Valentine's themes. Happy Valentine's Day, everyone. Nice one. Or as my partner said this morning, happy bourgeois love day. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, thanks. What's <laughs> I didn't the, think I'd be just, getting any flowers what, later. Okay, What's the make, liberal view on, on Valentine's no, Day? No, no. First of all, I don't speak for the liberals. Okay. Yeah, Second do. of all, we are all liberals. Third of all, most importantly... <laughs> I like uh, that. That's a burn. We are all liberals. We all think we're radical, but we're not. Exactly. Uh, and I'd just like to say, um, related to that, I, I just want to say one thing on this. And uh, even though it is a communist perspective, and I do not consider myself a communist. This one critique was very interesting, which uh, we have from my friend Bonolas, who is the chairman of the fund and the PPE. Chairman, uh, chairman Ben. Chairman Ben. <laughs> chairman Ben. <laughs> he sounds like a, a Chinese dictator, doesn't he? <laughs> chairman Ben. Um, but he, he, he said, this is very true, is that Valentine's Day is just a capitalist conspiracy. That is like, that is like the most trite observation ever. <laughs> like, trite me. It means like boring, like no, um, no, un- no. unoriginal. No. It's 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 bore it's 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 interesting to normal people, but you hyper elites, the <laughs> communist hyper elite, who are so so super aware. Us woke ones, too woke. Frank. Okay. We're right. too woke for have love. Us normies. So so basically, after race finally arrived, <laughs> after being an hour and fifteen minutes late to the podcast, um, we had a brief chat, true. and we realised that Lydia and I, being as we are, both obviously obviously radical comrades on the old radical left, have loads elites. to say. And you don't know what the hell you're talking about, do you, Race? You're way out of your depth. You're in the you're in the midst of the red ocean. It's <laughs> starting to sound a bit weird, but like whatever. Um, so you should start. You should start by interrogating our 
our guest from a liberal perspective. What would Chuck Omuna say? <laughs> there was just so many burns in there. So he subtly, that's such a lawyer, like that's, that was the way that a lawyer would do it. You know? So slick. Just like so many burns. Anyway, I'll, I'll ignore that for the sake of Valentine's Day, love and whatnot. Um, so, so yes, so, hello Lydia. Uh, so, hello. I mean, personally, I don't know I mean, I know what a trade union is. I'm sure we probably know. You don't know what a trade union is, do you? Yeah, they do. They do the strikes and that, right? You know. So, besides the strikes and that, what what do you sort of do in the trade union? I mean, some of them don't do the strikes and that, and that's kind of the problem. Um, But my union does do the strikes and that. Um, I work for IWGB. I'm the branch coordinator of the foster care workers branches. Um, But also, I'm an editor of Notes from Below. So that's where the workers' inquiry angle comes into it. I think that's included in your plan, as I know from the article. What? But I'm a little bit confused. <laughs> and what is Notes from Below? Notes from Below. So it's a below. socialist journal. We just had our one-year anniversary. Um, and it's a journal that uses like the class composition framework and workers' inquiry to talk about work today. Okay, so firstly, Sorry. what is the class composition framework? <laughs> and then we'll go into the, the meat of this, which is workers' inquiry. So... Sure, yeah. So when we talk about class composition, we break it down to talk about the technical composition. So that's how is work organised? So like, how does the capitalist organise work to make profit? So, you know, even tiny things like, you know, what machine you use, what time you clock in, these kind of small, seemingly mundane details. We're really interested in those. And then we have the political composition. And that's how workers organise themselves. Um, to fight back basically like how what is um, what form does the struggle take in that particular time and moment it can be strikes it can be um, boycotts it could be sabotage you know any number of things Um, and then in notes from below we've added another layer which is social composition so how are workers organized outside the workplace this includes things like migration housing like all so many issues we like can't see work in isolation anymore we have to incorporate those in as well so what's the that's that's a really interesting summary and um when we put this stuff about workers inquiry into our article we obviously didn't know what the fuck we were talking about it's one of those kind of fake it till you make it thing Um, (laughs) i'm so um, familiar with that (laughs) so so it's really helpful for you to like totally flesh out the gaping void of our understanding when it comes to the things we're boasting about (laughs) planning to do um uh, but so I, I, when you were talking, I found myself wondering. So it, um, I remember coming to one of your meetings at Notes from Below, and there was a lot of talk of uh, Gramsci and kind of Italian autonomism, and like, um, I suppose I wonder what what's the history of workers' inquiry? Like, where does that term and that method come from? Um, well, actually, kind of it comes from 1880, as far back as that, and it started out with actually Marx himself. He wrote a questionnaire I think it had a hundred questions or something crazy and he published that in a French newspaper in 1880 um, there were no responses recorded <laughs> poor sad marks um, but that was trying to get to the heart of what work looked like at that time so it asked even the most mundane questions um, about work and the features of work um, and this was something that Marx was really interested in um, in the like lesser known chapter of Capital about the working day, he talks about it a lot, and he uses lots of um, lots of. Oh, sorry, ben, Ben's pointing at me. <laughs> yeah, <just kind> of <laughs> pointy today, uh, very pointy. Um, 
so it kind of comes through that and then it was forgotten for years and years um, and was picked up by CLR James um, and people in a similar tendency to him, Johnson Forest tendency uh, in the US and also with Italian autonomism. Um, so lots of groups throughout the 70s used it in Italy. And we saw in this country as well, a big flame. I did lots of stuff around the Fiat factories um, to try and understand what, what work was like and what struggle was happening in the workplace. I didn't really describe what actually Workers' Inquiry is. That's more the history. Um, but, but so what are, you, yeah. what are you guys doing at Notes From Below then? Like, um, so is it kind of a blog where you publish the outcome and the results from conducting these workers' inquiries in, in given workplaces? Yeah, so it's all about understanding the exploitation of work from the workers' perspective. Um, so that would be a kind of from below perspective. We can also have from above inquiries, so researchers going in and talking to workers and doing more interviews. But what we're really interested in is having workers write about work and what that's like for them, how it's exploitative, but then also the political composition, so how they fight it. And then ultimately, workers' inquiry is a tool for organising. It's not purely academic, like, you know, that is um, not what we desire at all. Mm. It's for organising. So we create these inquiries, like today we just released a big issue on call centres, um, and that hopefully call centre workers will, work, will read that it will you know, strike a chord with them, they'll start organizing, it will bring about some kind of consciousness. That's really interesting. So uh, one of the big things that occurs to me then is, you know, you did sort of say what the aim is, which is to encourage workers to organize or to participate in the process of workers organizing. But what strikes me, um, and I think one of the points of tension between us that, that we might explore, is that my my impression of the left is that we tend to have this reactive orientation right this reactive posture where we are reacting to capital right so when you say how do the capitalists organize the workplace mm. increasingly my mind turns to the question if not the capitalists who would organize a workplace um, and i think there was a moment there, there comes a moment when trade union power in a given country becomes sufficiently strong that the question arises, you know, where do we go from here? Do we kind of storm the state and turn it into a proper kind of worker's state? Or do we try and dismantle the state? Do we build things outside of the state? Now, these can seem like very abstract questions, but in, in, in my uh, attempts to build this people's private equity idea, right, I keep coming up against this criticism from people saying that you're not going to change anything, right? You, like your idea doesn't actually challenge capitalism. And my response is always, well, what's our plan here are we just going to organize workers for the sake of it or are we organizing in order to do something do you see what i mean like what is the what is the end game and as i understand it right like leninism is all about this preoccupation with the vanguard party right that needs to kind of direct the historical agency of the working class at a revolutionary moment like 1917 and as i understand it i'm less i'm less acquainted with the autonomous tradition but as i understand it autonomism is critical of that kind of vanguardism is that is that right Yes, I think so. <laughs> and I think most other sections of the left are. Hmm. So, so, so what's the point to workers' inquiry? So it's not vanguardism, right? So what's the point to workers' inquiry? Well, I think, I think we're at a kind of a different juncture right now where 
I, I know from my perspective and lots of other comrades and notes from below of we're not at the position for a, a, a mass political party, right? We just don't have that like level of struggle at all. So like right now we're simply taking it from we're organizing workers and we're like encouraging workers in struggle through using workers inquiry. Mm. Um, and maybe further down the line that can take the form of a like mass workers party, which is so far from that. Mm. Like, and that's what makes me kind of, you know, the, as you were talking about earlier, RCG having, you know, having these like small, tiny, like Stalinist and trot political parties with like 150 members. It's just not where we're at right now. It's like not what we need, I think. But is there any reason why you don't think that uh, like workers inquiry could easily be a policy? I mean, does it even need to be a policy? Isn't it sort of just, can you not just have people just do it or no? <laughs> what do have you I, mean I, a policy? <laughs> like, I mean, do you mean a policy a, of the Labour Party? Yeah, because that's what you're sort of arguing, isn't it? Is that like, you'd have to have a workers inquiry party. No, that's not quite what I'm arguing. Because um, the Labour Party is obviously a, a liberal party that tries to seize power in Parliament, whereas what I was talking about was vanguardism, like a kind of Bolshevik type party, which... It doesn't really matter what... Because, I mean, the Labour Party is just the party of the left in England. Mm. So just like it's been taken over by Corbyn now, it's it just takes over the left. Otherwise, what, 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 I, don't, I don't understand. What would you say to that, Lydia? <laughs> is the Labour Party <laughs> the party of the left in Britain? <laughs> I, I mean, think, you, I, well, you know I'm not in the Labour Party, and you're not either. Is it, I don't think it represents the whole of the left. I think it seems to have a like, mass attraction from lots of young people at the moment, but I don't think that's universal. I think there's lots of people who exist outside of that who think it's not the right body to be in right now. I know personally, my position is whether Corbyn gets elected or not, we need a strong working class movement, like just hands down. If he gets elected, he is gonna, you know, go back on everything he says. He's already gone back on Trident, he's already gone back on so many things. There's no actually strong base that is holding Tim account at all. Mm. Like he's gonna take the reins of power and that's really hard. And he's gonna put more border guards, he's gonna put more cops on the streets. And that's not what the left wants. Instead of like standing by and cheerleading that, we need to be building like a mass movement that can either hold him to account or if he doesn't get into power, we're going to fucking need a mass movement anyway mm. to hold the Tories to account or anyone else. Like We need a mass working class movement that can um, demand things, like actually have power and demand changes to the economy that need to happen. That's, I mean, that's de I definitely uh, share that view. Um, and I also think, I mean, like it's like I said, critical support. I think um, the Labour Party has a massive blind spot when it comes to um, the British Empire. And I also think that regardless of what we think of Corbyn's project, if he gets into power, he will be in control of the British state. He'll be in, in control of institutions like the British border and the Home Office. He'll be in charge of institutions like the, the military. And the idea that we would support a government that's in charge of those institutions that we just don't really think should exist, certainly not in anything like their current form. The only thing for it, I think, is to have this complex position. Uh, I've taken in, in recent years whenever an election is happening between the Tories and the Labour Party whether it's for the London mayor or a general election or whatever uh, to, like my my approach to it my praxis so to speak is fuck the Labour Party vote Labour so it's like 
hyper, <laughs> hypercritical. Obviously, you want the Labour Party to be in over the Tories because they're going to create space for social democracy and for more radical alternatives to the status quo. But they're still the Labour Party. Like, so, I mean, yeah, I mean, it, it, um, to, to summarise, I think there's a, a slight tension between your position, race, and, uh, and those of us on the radical left. Like, we don't think that the Labour Party is the last word when it comes to left organising in this country. And there is a sub- substantial body of, you know, communists and other people on the radical left who simply don't think the Labour Party is capable of achieving the kind of change that we want to see in society. So what is it you want? We want um, communism, right? So we want we, we, we want to massively, I think, I, I mean, I can't speak for everyone. I want to massively restructure um, inequality in society. But also, I, mean, I think more than that, we want to, we want to take away the idea that um, the labor you do should be the thing that mediates your power in society. Um, and it, like, I mean, I'm reading this amazing book at the moment called Art After Money, Money After Art by Max Haven. Absolutely brilliant book, recommend it to anyone. Um, and it's all about, I mean, one of the things he talks about is the radical imagination. So capitalism is very good at co-opting m- imaginative alternatives and turning them to serve capitalist ends. And he, ma- he makes all these incredibly compelling arguments, one of which is that he says, for example, that um, he draws from things like Angela Davis and the movement to abolish prisons and says that we should abolish art. And he says that art is this capitalist construct. The idea that we should have this special sphere where people get to be individually creative is a uniquely capitalist phenomenon. And so when you say, what do we want? Well, really, we want to completely revisit these social relations so that everyone can be emancipated to to um, to imagine how they can transform the world. Like, we just think that um, that people can basically be more happy and more free if we change social structures, which is sort of where people's private equity comes into it, right? It's like it's trying to make that very abstract radical imagination kind of real. Like, how would you reorganize workplaces to make them look like the kind of world that we want to see? Which is why, you know, those those listening who have a chance to read the article, we start to try and nail our colors to the mass. We say things like four-day working week, so people are making work less the center of their life, like paid work, uh, one-to-one pay ratio, right? So trying to implement proper equality but more than that global minimum wage so that everyone across the world has this same access to a basic standard of living that allows them to live an emancipated existence that's kind of what we want we just want everyone to sort of be free and happy and we say that you can't have that in a system where billionaires are allowed to exist like because then they just kind of hoard um they hoard capital they hoard um claims on goods and services i mean this is not true but we really don't need to go into that you know uh, I, I mean, mean, I think that's very sad, to be honest with you. Because, you know, but, but, you know I, don't, I don't really know what to say. I'm a bit speechless. No, I, I think it's very, it's, it's very, that's very sad. Um, but what can you do, you know? I mean, we can, ask, Lid- we can ask Lydia what she thinks about her article. Did it make you as sad as race? I think, I think, I think before, before we do that, let's just, let's just quickly recap with Lydia what a workers' inquiry sort of is. Uh, just a sort of, and then I, I've, I've got a got a little question for Lydia. Oh, okay. We're leading it back to finance. Ominous. Yes. (laughs) Hit me with the question. Well, uh, just quickly recap to us exactly what the workers' inquiry is. So I would say a process of research, um, but also organising. So learning about work, learning about exploitation from the perspective of the worker. And then, as I said before, which kind of, I think, actually clashes with your view of what works inquiry is and how you're going to implement it it's to organize and it's to like find 
small points of resistance that are already happening and propagate those um, and to like encourage struggles that maybe aren't there already. And um, just so I'm clear how it's actually like executed, is it you'd go into the companies and sort of do surveys? Oh yeah, it's a fair point. Stuff like that. Um, so this is from the perspective of being almost an outsider from a workplace. Um, so being some kind of crazy radical who wants to see uh, worker struggle propagated and um, amplified. And from that perspective, you're either talking to workers and doing it from a, an above perspective. So you would conduct the research by talking to workers who you'd know and you'd met. Um, but then there's also the like from below perspective. So maybe you would work with another worker in a workplace um, as someone who's interested in class struggle and you would um, conduct co-research with them and then hopefully workers would, would do it themselves. Um, so it's not kind of a thing that an organisation so much would go into a company and do like a service. Um, it's more that those who are interested in this form of organising and this form of politics would take up the mantle, take up the call. Like on the website, we say anyone who's interested in conducting workers' inquiries, get in touch, we'll publish it. Like this is the space for you to do it um, in whatever workplace you want to do. So it's more like a call out to people to say get involved, not so much for um, something you'd like implement in the workplace right. or a policy. And so what was your issues with how we intended to to use workers' inquiry? I think, I mean, this is it's more like a clarification. I really want to know what you guys think about it. I know me and Ben have had some of these conversations before. But I think the point of the workers' inquiry is like to to boost like struggle to to um encourage like workers in struggle and i think that actually like completely contradicts the initial aims of what you're trying to achieve like you're what, what, gonna get what, what do you understand those aims to be so what do you think are the aims of people private equity and the funds that we plan to create i think there's there's your long-term aims which is like, I'm not talking about those, but I'm talking about in the short term, you're gonna be in charge of a lot of money. You're gonna be lent a lot of money by some like very rich people who may or may not give a fuck about socialism. And they're gonna want a return on that money. And that's gonna be really hard. And there are gonna come times where you're gonna to have to choose how much you pay people. You're gonna to have to choose how you organize the technical composition to exploit those workers. And it's gonna be you in charge of that. and you're not going to want them on strike. I mean, you say in the article that you um, may have policies of like, oh, there are no limits on strikes and so-and-so. But like in reality, when that investor comes collecting, you're going to need to like make a profit off the exploitation of those workers. Yeah, definitely, and definitely. It's a really interesting critique. So, uh, so one thing I was just a bit confused about is, what, so when you say boosting struggle, it sounds a bit... <laughs> What, what, what do you mean by that? Boosting, boosting struggle, like worker struggle. What, what does that mean exactly? Um, well, from my perspective, I mean, it can mean so many different things, so many different workplaces. But I come from the perspective of thinking struggle's always there in a workplace. Like people are always resisting, they're always fighting back. Whether it's in the kind of forms that we as a society recognize and deem legitimate, like perhaps going on a strike or wearing a pin 
that has your union's name on it or writing a grievance to your employer like people might not be doing those kind of things because there might not be a trade union present but you know people are slacking off early and coming in late and stealing things from the till or like kind of forms of resistance telling your bus bus to like fuck off or something so I, I, that are not recognized and those are the kind of struggles that you want to latch on to and help amplify yeah I, I sort of think so uh, two words that you're using and two quite important concepts and kind of metaphors that you're using are struggle and resistance right so you've repeatedly said struggle and you've re- repeatedly said active resistance right and this is kind of what I'm trying to get to. This is the tension that I want to explore between you and me. Because there's an unnamed thing that you are struggling against and that you are resisting, right? And and really the thing is capital, kind of. Um, but even then it's quite difficult to define what we mean by capital because it's not really people. It's kind of a much more pervasive way of doing things. It's, it's deeply embedded in the way that the economy and society fundamentally mm-hmm. functions. And that's what we're resisting and that's what we're struggling against. And so when let's think about struggle, right? That metaphor for me implies kind of like someone tied up in a rope or something, right? And they're struggling to get out of the thing that constricts them. And so what we need to do to complete the metaphor is to understand the other side of it. We, we understand the idea of struggle, but to properly liberate ourselves from the thing that we're struggling against, we need to understand what that thing is. So in the metaphor, as I've painted it, it's like a rope that's constraining us and say, I suppose the capitalist is like, like the person who owns capital or, or who stands to benefit from the exploitation of the worker who's constrained within that rope, like they're kind of the thing we're struggling against, right? The rope didn't get there by itself necessarily. Like there are people who, who enforce like, like us being tied up basically, our workers being tied up. And so I suppose that's the point with the fund is it's kind of like, it's asking the question, okay, like, yeah, fine, let's struggle to free ourselves from the person who Im- imposed the rope. But really, you kind of can't escape from capital, right? Capital is machines. Capital is like um, engaging in productive processes. Like we can't have a complex society without having a view on how we think capital should be organized, which is to say machines. Um, Now, I don't want to get into the weeds too much. Like there is an important distinction between kind of like industrial fixed capital and and money capital. And I think the more I read about it, the more I think money capital is the big problem, right? This kind of this idea of value in its purest form, right? But um, it seems to me that um, that the risk with autonomism and the risk with workers' inquiry is that you adopt an antithetical position, right? Rather than having a thesis like this is what society should look like, we are the left, we have this radical imagination about how society should look, we instead limit ourselves to saying our raison d'etre is to struggle against capital. Um, and it just seems to me that actually we need to have a theory about how to overturn capital, like mm-hmm. to once and for all break free of the thing that we're struggling against so that we are then free, right? We are free from that struggle and we're free to realize our disinhibited like nature. Like we are free to do what we would do if we were not like tied up in the rope that capital um, constrains us with. Do you see what I mean? Mm, and that's- totally. And I think it's a huge problem on the left. Mm. You know, where is our radical imagination? I don't know mine at the moment. I feel depressed about it. Like mm. I don't feel like I have one at the moment at all. Mm. And I think there needs to be a lot of like collective reimagination of like what we demand, what we want, what we want the future to be. But at the moment we feel like we're so far from that. Mm. Like we're like, I mean the moment in my branch of the union, a basic struggle of like 
foster care workers should not have to access food banks to provide for the children in their care. Like we're on that level right now. And it often seems hard to kind of stick your head above those like everyday struggles to to get to this wider picture. But I, that's what I love about people's private equity. It's like on the offensive, it's trying to create a new world and the like shell of the old. Mm. Um, so that's the idea. So so what do you, uh, I don't know. You didn't I, quite answer my question. No, no, though. you did, you did. Uh, you did answer the question. You basically said- <laughs> you, you didn't answer mine. Oh, what was your question? <laughs> about what's gonna happen when you're the boss and your workers are pissed off. Yeah, totally. Like, so, but so, in your metaphor of the rope, right? Hmm. Maybe the person who has lent you all this money made the rope, okay? Mm -hmm. But yeah, you essentially are the rope or you're the one who's gonna be tightening it around these workers. Yeah. So what happens then? Like you are the conduit for capital in this scenario. What I, think, well, I, th I think if we do nothing else, the radical difference between what we do and what um, a traditional capitalist currently does right so in the metaphor the traditional capitalist is tying up the worker because it's in that position that he can exploit her right so um if nothing else people's private equity will gain control over the rope even if it's literally on borrowed time like like we borrow enough money to be able to buy control over the rope and if nothing else we'll talk to the workers constrained by it and say this is what the old boss was doing. We have access to all of the company accounts and everything. We know how this company works. This is what they were doing. The reason they were exploiting you was because of these financial imperatives, the profit motive. Um, we've replaced that with a new system where our big challenge is that we have to spend maybe five years, maybe 10, or maybe the more I think about it, a longer timescale, like something like 25 years, like the, the, the timescale of a mortgage, right? Um, we have to pay off this capitalist um, we have to pay them a certain amount of interest on the investment they've made. And when we do that, we'll be free, right? So it's a bit like when you have a mortgage for 25 years, you're kind of constrained by the bank, right? You have to pay them your mortgage or they will kick you out, right? But then after 25 years, you own the house. And in theory, you're not really being exploited anymore, right? You own that land outright. So the idea is to, like, the, the, the metaphor that actually works most clearly for me at the moment is to think of people's private equity as kind of like a communist mortgage lender that goes to workers and says, do you want the opportunity over perhaps a 25 year term, even if it's that long, I still say that would be radical, where you change the composition of a firm and you say, instead of there being a separate capitalist class, over 25 years, we will, um, we will transfer ownership from that capitalist class to the workers who operate the factory or the, the workplace itself. And what happens in the meantime, these 25 years? I don't, have you thought about that, Rose? In these 25 years, I mean, that's the, the workers are working. And I guess, I mean, that we haven't really, we, that's the sort of obviously the big question, isn't it? Yeah. That's the big clutch. And like, we have not really boiled down how exactly that's gonna work. Well, I think I've sort of had one idea, which is sort of similar to what you, you were sort of saying with the 25 years, but, more operating it as opposed to like a private equity, like a traditional private equity firm where you obviously are taking a return and giving out a return and then taking a fee. Doing it something like the man himself, Mr. Warren Buffett, Berkshire Hathaway, they don't they don't obviously they don't have a, anyone to return like returns to, right? They're just sort of buying the companies and like obviously they, they have a portion of the shares which are public which people can buy and then obviously there's no dividends if they're just 
spying on the the companies how how well how well they're doing. I think a model like that where you're actually you're not tied to actually give a return. You're just sort of owning these companies, and then, like, you know, if there's if there's bare capital left, you maybe give a little cheeky little dividend. You know, in year twenty five, as you say, twenty five mortgage, you get a cheeky little dividend if there's if there's any capital at the end. Yeah, I think Something that's like right. That. I think that's right. Um, but then it does raise the question. So um, last episode we had Joe the tax lawyer as you coined him and it was it was obviously really great to have him and he's um, and he's continued to kind of converse with me and some comrades on whatsapp about this and he read the article after it was released and he continues to say that you know the last thing he said when he came on was don't limit yourself to private equity think about other structures think about other investment vehicles because the idea that we were describing to him he said didn't need to be constrained within a private equity mold and i think the, mo- the more we think about it the more that's clear like this is not like ppe people's private equity is a nice catchy title and i think it's good if nothing else because it's such a good juxtaposition like people's has all of these connotations about kind of socialism inequality and then private equity just sounds like capitalism right it sounds like something technical and financial so i, I maintain that it's a good name but his point most recently on the WhatsApp group today, when I was thinking about you know how I was going to respond to criticism about the article and stuff, was to do with exit strategies. You know, private equity is all about having an ex- an exit strategy, and it may be that the more radical thing for us to do is to try to have the opposite of that. Is that how do you create, um, how do you transfer ownership, and then you don't exit. And and what you really want to be doing long term is to be creating these sources of um, kind of worker controlled capital that can then go into new companies and start buying them up using like a, a worker controlled fund right and that starts to look like something very different but i think the, the idea i suppose with people's private equity is is it possible to get a to get enough of a spark enough seed finances it's sometimes called in a different context right where you get enough money to play around with that you can actually go into firms and for a period of time you have control over the management and so the big metaphor that i didn't really get a chance to put into the article because that article was like i don't want to say giving birth because i'm like i don't know if that's trauma like like there's this meme that goes around about like men pretending they can empathize with how much it hurts to give birth right so obviously it's not actually like giving birth but like it took absolutely ages for us to write it um and you know sometimes you can't really see the wood for the trees when you've been writing a document for that long but I think one of the things that I really wanted to convey that I've not, I've not managed yet to publicly express is this idea of kind of um, there is a tension between management and workers, right? There's a class tension between management and workers or, or really between capitalists and the managers they appoint, right? So the capitalist class impo- employs a kind of elite worker called management and they oppress the, the working class proper, yeah? That's the central class conflict that animates this project, right? We're trying to overcome that class conflict and we're trying to create a classless society, okay? The, the problem I have with workers' inquiry and with trade unionism and with a lot of the left at the moment is that they talk about, yeah, we need to organize the workers. We need to make sure that the workers have full control of the workplace. But the question is never answered as to, okay, so, so what do you do with management? What do you do with the people who still own the company? There must be a process for the workers then saying, we need to dispossess this class. We need to take ownership away from the capitalists and distribute it evenly among the workers right so that raises so so that raises two uh, like a few questions which i don't necessarily need to go into but the central metaphor behind people's private equity is that if you could somehow and i know it's very ambitious but if you could somehow get a bunch of communists who were who were in charge of management 
and that they could meet the workers from above. So the, the management is crunching down from above and the workers are organizing upwards from below and then they meet in the middle. What normally happens in an industrial dispute is that the workers encounter a hostile management. Whereas what you would encounter if people's private equity came into your workplace is a management that is explicitly sympathetic to your attempts to dispossess and dissolve the very idea of there being a distinction between worker and manager. So the, so the, the hope is that you can kind of, it's like, it's like industrial action reaches this ceiling where there's no more workers left to organize and the only thing left is to have a, a confrontation with capital. And what we're hoping to do with people's private equity is to just expedite that by kind of getting up inside these capitalist management structures and kind of corroding them from within. So they're going to be populated by communists who are fundamentally hostile to the idea that those institutions should exist. And so it, it just becomes this dialogue between the person constrained by the rope and the person doing the constraining. And they say, how do we get this rope off you? Like, let's have this, um, this solidaristic dialogue where we try and collectively emancipate ourselves because I don't want to be the one holding the rope around you the reason I have to is because the bank says we need to pay this much interest instead of that being the workers problem I'm making it our problem how do we collectively overcome that exploitation and create a world where that exploitation is not necessary starting at the level of individual firms my point though it still stands like what happens when you're this kind of communist manager <laughs> I mean it sounds quite ridiculous but yeah, <laughs> um, and you, you know, your private equity firm that is investing in you or whatever is coming to collect. Hmm. Like, do you negotiate with the work and you say, look, I know you really like need enough money to put food on the table, but look, we owe like loads of money. Sure. So, so for example, I, I totally hear that. But for example, I mean, two things I would say. Number one. Um, I agree with you that it is an absurdity. It's a contradiction to talk about a communist manager. And that's the that's kind of part of the whole point of what we're doing is to explore that absurdity. Like the 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 tension between yeah, like the, the yeah, the idea that you can control workplaces and still call yourself a communist, right? Um but I would say it's no more absurd than um than Jeremy Corbyn being an MP, right? It's the similar sort of absurdity. Or like or like a more, more of a John McDonnell type, right? He he's basically a Marxist, right? And it's like, but he's I think it's even more so. But really, a Marxist in the British Parliament? But when we, okay, let's go back to this like class composition framework, right? To think about this, if we're talking about technical composition, right? How the you know the manager, the communist manager, or the capitalist is exploiting these workers in order to make a profit, whether the profit goes to them buying a yacht in the Caribbean or whether it goes back to your like private, the person who's lent you the money or whatever. Um, like they are going to have to make decisions about the like technical composition, how they organise the workplace that is going to like maximally exploit the workers there. Whether it's like you're talking about something similar to like Deliveroo, where like a way you organise the app to make workers cycle faster, you're going to have to make those decisions, and you're going to have to make them cycle faster. It's just going to happen. Like there's no way that you can continue this business model by saying, oh yeah, like the worker wants to like slack off and cycle slower today because he's cold and hungry. Oh, like we can't pay back this money. You're gonna be like creating incentives to make this worker cycle faster, deliver more food. That's gonna be your role in this. You're gonna be inherently compromised. Of course we're inherently compromised because like we're all inherently compromised because we live in capitalism, right? And the point is to try to resolve the contradiction. So when you say, 
you know, the fund is going to have to make decisions about the technical composition of the firm. I totally agree with you. The question arises, if not a, if not the capitalist class, and if not a kind of a fake communist capitalist class, <laughs> then who should, who should make the decisions? Who should be making those technical composition decisions? I do agree that like the workers need to be in control. I mean, I 100% agree with that on principle. But like my difficulties with this like transition period, why does it have to be that you have to come in as these weird administrators? Why can we not like transfer straight to like workers control over this? But I mean, also then they would face the same financial restrictions as you would. This is the point is that if nothing else, if all we do is to point out to workers why we have to have these incentive structures that make them work harder and that like exploit them at least they'll be conscious of the mode of their own exploitation currently they allow to almost they're, they're allowed to almost um, moralize at their bosses right the, their bosses become these bad people who are exploiting them which is a moralistic framework and doesn't actually help them to understand the descriptive economic realities that lead to their exploitation if nothing else they will have communist management who who just ask the, the kind of question we're asking. Okay, so how, sh how sh this is our problem. We have to pay this much money back to our debtors. That's the interest rate, so that's how much profit we need to make this month. How do you, the workers, say we should do it differently? So like, but, but I mean, I had a key example as well, which I'd be interested in, in, in getting both your opinions on actually, right? Um, so say our fund goes into an existing workplace. It's a profitable workplace. We buy the share, so we now own it but we now owe the money that we borrowed to buy the shares to the bank or to the pension fund or whoever it is that lent it to us, right? So that's our big problem is how do we pay off the debt that we owe, right? And one of the changes that we implement, nothing else, but one of the changes that we implement is a one-to-one -one pay structure. So it'll probably take us a few years to implement that, right? Because you have senior management who'll cry foul and we'll have to implement it slowly. So you start with a five-to-one pay ratio and then you, um, so you drag it down so that it's one-to-one. -one. So then at the end of five years or whatever, you sell off, you sell off the workplace um, and the pension fund gets their money back. But you have transformed that workplace in at least one way. So now everyone's getting paid the same amount. And that means that workers who were previously getting less are now getting more because they're getting a higher share of senior management pay. That's not communism, but it is a better workplace. Sounds like communism to me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think the reality of like, if you actually attempted to implement a one-to-one -one pay ratio, I think you would start to very quickly push up against the limits imposed by capitalist um, relations, right? Like, I mean, one of the big problems would be brain drain, right? Like the the, the kind of um, intellectual labor that's required to manage companies and so forth um, would demand a salary that's far higher than a one-to-one -one pay ratio would allow. And so you would have trouble at attracting that kind of person. Um, and the way to overcome it would have to be through politics, right? You would have to attract people who could um, could work somewhere else for far more money, but choose to work in our company because they believe in the idea that we should all be paid a dignified salary and nothing more. Like we don't think there should be these wage differentials depending on what kind of labor you're doing. But do you see what I mean? It's like, it's not just the workers are still being exploited. It's, they are, like we are recomposing the, the, the kind of um, class composition that you talk about. We're, t we're, we're revisiting technical composition decisions and saying, why is there inequality with respect to pay in the firm? Why is it impossible for us to implement a four-day week? Why and, and, and actually saying, 
that we think that that kind of squares the circle. It sort of gives the capitalists what they want because we say, look, these people will be more productive. These workers will be more productive. But we also give workers what they want because we give them control, far greater control over the workplace. But it's, it's not even that we give it to them, right? It's that we have this conversation. It's not like a gift that comes from the communist management. It's that we have a dialogue and we transform it together. Like workers need to have power in this scenario, otherwise it doesn't work. I mean, that's pretty much the key, isn't it, though? But I think that's sort of what's been fatally missed by your analysis there, is that, you know, it should be about equal, as you in, in your little Marxist sense, you know, socialism. Hmm. But what, 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 what it sounds like, you know, to the audience of me, is that you want to do some evil Stalinism. And it's basically the difference between dictatorship, authoritarianism, and libertarianism, and letting the workers actually come together. Because uh, it, what it really should be is you sort of you got you got you've got the, all these uh, these companies. You turn them into cooperatives, whatever structure you want to do, and they themselves choose which sort of policies they do. I don't think it should be a case of we Stalin, we buy this company. And we say everyone must get paid the same, and if you don't like it, piss it off, and we'll get some commies who can work for us. I think that's really why people hate communism, is because you know you want to come in there and then kick out everyone who doesn't agree with your Stalinist vision. But it should be about more Jeremy Corbyn-style socialism, and you know you actually buy the work, buy the workplaces, and let the workers say, and, and, and I think. That's the key, isn't it? It's really about democracy, which is what communism lacks, is that it has to actually be about these guys, these workers all choose. So if they, if all these, like I'm sure say if you guys all worked in a in a workplace, um, in Goldsmiths or something, like... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> savage. Um, savage. Oh, oh. <laughs> is that savage. Is that really savage? Um, For reasons you don't understand. Okay, uh, like I'm sure you, you guys are probably, as a as a workplace decide, yeah, a one-to-one pay ratio is what we all agree would be good. But then say maybe maybe Batu's corner shop down down the road, you know, they don't really want to do one-to-one pay ratio. They think uh, think Jeff should be paid less than Batu. Yeah, I totally hear that. But, th- but then it, that's a bit like saying, you know, let's just have democracy. And, you know, some rich people no, are, no, no. are, are, are going to want to pay taxes and they can just pay their taxes. But other rich people are not going to want to pay their taxes and they should be allowed to not pay. Ta- and it's like, no, that's not how society works. You have like a marginal tax rate and everyone pays it. And it's the same with how a firm is organized. Like, I think it's a really important point of consensus between you and me is that you're right that it's about democracy. But where you and I differ is that you think or you seem to think that any firm organized along capitalist modes of production and capitalist relations can be democratic. And it just seems a bit absurd because, you know, all we're talking about doing is doing anything that any other capitalist firm does, which is to set wages for its workers, right? And, and, and you're acting as though we're saying like, no, we'll get communist workers because if you don't want to, if you want to take them, you know, if you work in senior management and you're not prepared to take a massive pay cut, then you can fuck off. And that is kind of what we're saying. But that's no different to what a standard capitalist says. But it's just that the, the, the way the capitalist says it, it operates at, the, at, at another level, right? Which is that we're going to pay you fucking dirt money. We're going to pay you starvation wages. And if you don't like it, you can fuck off. The only difference is that we're, we're doing the same process that the capitalist does to the, to the poorest people in the firm. We're doing it to the richest. 
right? But I think that's, then that kind of defeats the whole purpose, isn't it? If you're, 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 you're replacing one dictator for another dictator, when really, if, if you guys actually care about, and which I think we all do, is like actual worker democracy, then it should be the collect. Okay, so maybe that was a, the Batus was a bad example because there's probably like five people who work in a corner shop, right? So let's say let's go with uh, I don't know IBM, right? Um, there's what like no fifty thousand people who work there. True worker democracy would say everyone gets a vote, and you were knew well that you know well that like the majority of people aren't your senior management figures that you hate so much. The majority of people are probably normal bots. But what I'm saying is you can't say oh everyone has to get paid the same. What you should really do is, if it is a true democracy, everyone would vote on, do we want to do one-to-one page ratio, or do we want to maybe just make it more equal than it is now? And then they can decide that. Mm. I don't think you should come and dictate your communist sort of policies. I think you should offer it to them. And like, but I think the key is really turning it into a cooperative, or obviously you were saying some other sort of modes, but like that's the main one that we sort of know, is turning it into a cooperative. Thus giving the workers ownership of their of their production and thus you know an actual say in how it's how it's sort of done yeah i think i think that's a really interesting point i think that like i mean your point about democracy can you force people to be free kind of thing is a very old philosophical debate um i i, I mean i think i could probably come back quite hard against what you're saying um but i think there is some consensus there like the, the point about democracy is an interesting one it's just um you seem not to realize how profoundly undemocratic current firms are and I would say any firm that has publicly traded shares or indeed private shares that are that are held in the hands of, say, the founders, the idea that such a firm is democratic is just absurd. It's totally absurd. The control is legally and, and practically in the hands of a limited class of people. It is not in control of the people who operate the firm. And we haven't even started talking about uh, multi-stakeholder um, analysis and multi-stakeholder um, cooperatives, for example, right? So it's like... Is, is it democratic to say that the, only the workers in a firm have have power? So like um, the usual right wing response is to say something like, um, look at the RMT and the tube, right, in London. Like, is it democratic to say that because the workers want to go on strike, that means that all of the people using that service have to suffer, right? So obviously I think that we should support workers who go on strike like that and they should have support from the public and that if the British were less addicted to their shit jobs then they would be glad of an excuse not to um, not to go to work that day but but that's a, a separate question the point is that um, democracy like once we start opening that genie uh, no, let that genie out of the bottle um, <laughs> it gets uh, it gets kind of messy um, but but again, like with um, Joe, when we spoke with Joe, he said mm. we should tax the rich, and I was like, this is amazing. Like he's like he self-identifies as like a kind of uh, li- moderate conservative, and he's saying, yeah, the solution to your problem is to increase marginal tax rates. And you're like, that's that's an amazing point of consensus. Mm-hmm. And and with the liberate here race, we, we've we've identified <laughs> another important point of consensus, which is uh, democracy. Right? So let's talk about democracy. But I, I genuinely think. Talking about democracy in workplaces is fundamentally destabilizing to existing capitalist relations, right? Once you do actually start saying people should control their workplaces, that is going to destabilize um, extractive and exploitative workplaces. It must do. 100%. 100%. What's your I final word oh. on um, the article? Like, what's your. The article. Like, what do you make of it? What do you make of what we're trying to do? And what's your big, like, final criticism or, or, or observation? <laughs> 
I feel excited about it. I mean, I'm ex- I think there's so little projects that exist out there that like are actually organizing to transfer to transform. I just said transform again. <laughs> <laughs> this is so contagious. What's going on? He's so transform. good. He's so good at. Oh my god! This current. is a capitalist mindset. It's getting into my brain. First liberate, now transform. <laughs> and, wait, we are nailing it. Anyway, transforming the world we live in the society i think it's exciting i'm excited to see where it goes i mean i feel like a deep skeptic just because i think being this kind of communist manager like it deeply compromises you mm. um and actually telling workers that they they have to hold off their struggles for 25 years before they can finally be liberated mm. is actually not not much of an incentive at all um and actually what's been missing kind of conversation is what are profits like what are these profits that you're going to be sending back to these people you've lent the money from like it is the wages of of the workers like Mm. it is the like it comes from exploiting workers and that's it's a big challenge it's a big challenge overcoming surplus value yeah yeah how do we do that so critical excitement is that fair Critical, <laughs> critical support, comrade. <laughs> but, uh, no, we need to coin the new. I, I feel like excitement was a good, a, a good note. To, a, a nice ambiguous, like double entendre. To I end would say on. just excitement. Like these are good challenges to face. Like we need to be starting to like face these challenges of like how do we actually have power mm. and organize ourselves. Brilliant. Like I'm so bored of just sitting around being like. Oh, let's fight this let's struggle against this like let's get serious brilliant I look forward to uh, revisiting these um, questions with you on Saturday What's, oh right The uh, we, we should Talk. probably just quickly end I know we've got to we've got to wrap up Ben but one last time in case you haven't got your tickets we're going to be releasing this is released on Valentine's Day so get your loved ones and yourself a ticket to the Transforming Finance Conference this Saturday people's private equity yep see you next week Peace. see you on Saturday And I mean, one answer is it that it feels a bit like Greece. Greece, Greece? obviously, it's a country. <laughs> I love that movie. But, you know, what, like you've got like going to the banks kind of thing and saying, "Oh, we want to change things." <laughs> oh my biscuit! No, it's like Can being like, "Oh, we want to run our country like in this way. This is how we're going to organize." And then the we banks owe just go, "Fuck loads of money to these people who are being like." Mm, actually no. you owe us loads of money so you better do this fucking yeah, yeah. thing we're going to impose on you and then all of a sudden the government which is your communist management ends up being like fuck we've got to fuck over our people